Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about It's in His Kiss by Julia Quinn. This was published in 2005 and is the seventh in the Bridgerton series. So we're finally back on track. We said we would do one per month until, well, as the release date on Netflix gets closer. We, we missed a couple of months there, but we're back. Well, and in fairness to us, it was the library's fault, not ours. That's, yes, uh, heresy, I know we don't, neither of us own this book. I so. won't apologize for that. <laughs> Let's read the jacket. If it's in his heart, it's in his kiss. Meet our hero. Gareth Sinclair is in a bind. His father, who detests him, is determined to beggar the Sinclair estates and ruin his inheritance. Gareth's sole bequest is an old family diary, which may or may not contain the secrets of his past and the key to his future. The problem is, it's written in Italian, of which Gareth speaks not a word. Meet our heroine. All the town agreed. There was no one quite like Hyacinth Bridgerton. She's fiendishly smart devilishly outspoken and according to gareth probably best in small doses but there's something about her something charming and vexing that grabs him and won't quite let go meet poor mr mozart or don't but rest assured he's spinning in his grave when gareth and hyacinth cross paths at the annual and annually discordant smythe smith musicale To Hyacinth, Gareth's every word seems a dare, and she offers to translate his diary, even though her Italian is slightly less than perfect. But as they delve into the mysterious text, they discover that the answers they seek lie not in the diary, but in each other. And that there is nothing as simple or as complicated as a single perfect kiss. Okay. This this is kind of a cute jacket. I don't think it's too bad. I think it's a little inaccurate, but the spirit is right, so I'll give it a pass. Yeah, uh, this was pretty good. I was like, oh, actually, this is, like, super cute. I think the only thing I would add is the, um, some mention of Lady Danbury. So she's yes. such a big part of the text, and at this point, she had to have been a fan favorite, so I don't know why you don't mention her. Yeah. Uh, well, as you know, every week... Well, not every week. Every episode, we generate a random number, and then we write a summary based on that random number. Episode, the number is 21. All right, so my 21-word summary. Everyone wants Hyacinth and Gareth to marry. They both come to agree as they work to locate his grandmother's lost jewels. Oh, very cute. I think that also fits the spirit. Right. Yeah, but I also didn't mention Lady Danbury, damn it. I know. <laughs> you had to rely on me for that one. <laughs> oh, good. Here's my summary. Although the main characters of this book are supposedly Gareth and Hyacinth, the true heroes are Lady Danbury and Violet Bridgerton. Damn right. That's right. <laughs> That's We've talked about this before. That's like the, the strength of Julia Quinn uh, are the relationships, not just the the main relationship, but the relationships they have with other people. And they, it really comes out in this book, I think. Well, and I don't know how to put it other than this book is really Bridgerton-y. Yes, it is. Like, Gregory and Hyacinth are still living at home. Violet's making regular appearances. At one point, Daphne comes over for tea. Gareth has a meeting with Anthony. You know, there's a lot of discussion about Benedict and Sophie. And I think the downside, like, Francesca was already living alone 
in Scotland. And even though she came home in Violet Features, I still feel like Francesca's book was not that Bridgertony. Eloise true. ran away. And so with the exception of her brothers coming to confront her future husband, like it's not about Francesca's relationship with her family or Eloise's relationship with her family. So I think the last one that really leaned into the Bridgertonness of it all was Collins. Yeah. And so like I was really excited in a way I hadn't been expecting to have that back. It yeah, it's so nice. It is really, really nice. It's so fun to have the family relationships and the family banter and the whole thing is just is great. Well, and Lady Danbury doesn't just get to be her uh, usually amazing and con- like spark-filled self in society events. Mm-hmm. Gareth is actually her grandson, and Hyacinth yes. reads to her every Tuesday. And yes. so, oh damn it, I should have put something about Tuesdays with Lady Danbury in my summary. Oh well, missed opportunity. <laughs> um, but so they both have this really strong relationship with her and you get to see her in a familial context and you get to see her like with this friend bond with Hyacinth. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sweet. She's like a mentor role almost. There was one thing I wondered if it was inaccurate and I'm going to defer to you to find out if it is. So I seem to recall from earlier books before Penelope and Colin got together that Lady Danbury basically was telling Penelope, you remind me a lot of myself and I needed to wait till I found my soulmate. Mm-hmm. And you will too. But then in this book, she sort of dismisses her husband as a bit of an idiot and an oaf. I, I think she was, I, yeah, I don't think she ever said that she had to wait for her soulmate. And that's, that's coming from many, many, many rereadings of Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. I think somehow she was, I felt like she'd had some sort of conversation with Penelope and it might not have been in Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. Yeah. It might have been in one of the earlier ones. I I don't think so. I think her conversations okay. were more, you have to come into your own to be confident. And I don't think it had to do with romantic love. Okay. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm misremembering, but I was sort of taken aback by her comments that she hadn't been happily married. Yeah. Well, she's always talked about how she doesn't like her kids. Yes, that is accurate. So that is always in there. One of the previous books, I think the book that came right before the Bridgertons, which is How to Marry a Marquis, is also, it's a great book. And Lady Danbury features in that one. Isn't it Marquis? It is, but it is spelled M-A-R-Q-U-I-S. So I spell it, I'm saying Marquis. Okay, just checking because I get confused as to what are like the continental pronunciation versus what's the British pronunciations. Yeah. And I always fuck up like Sinclair instead of St. Clair. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. No, well, she she wrote it Marquis. So I pronounce it Marquis. But if it's with the Q-U-E-S-S, it's Marquess. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to say that I'm sure some listeners are going to be like, it's Marquis, no matter how you spell it, because it's in Britain, which is fine. Maybe I'm saying it totally wrong. I don't care. Thank you, Lord uh, Peter, for educating me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the the tropes of this book. Yeah. So we've already talked about, like, the emphasis on family and the Bridgertons and what a vital role the Bridgertons get to play in this one. Yeah. And I mean, I would go so far. I have gone so far in my notes to call it, this is the Bridgerton trope. Yes. Which is, you know, family is the most important thing. Family is important, blah, blah, blah. So that runs through on both sides. So even though Gareth has a really horrible relationship with his father, 
he still has this wonderful relationship with his grandmother and then before she died with his mother. And so there, that thread is really strong. Well, not to mention the fact that what finally makes Hyacinth admit she's in love with him is him going on a really emotional tirade about how envious he is of how many people she has in her life that love her and her familial bonds. Mm -hmm. And she realizes, oh, he knows what's really important. Well, and she also realizes he doesn't have that and I can provide this to him. Yes. So it's a it's a twofer. Well, and then like when he finally asks Anthony for her hand, because spoiler alert, they end up together. Anthony beats it over the head and he's like, you know, you're marrying the rest of us. <laughs> and Gareth is like, yeah, I did think about it real hard before I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we do have some other tropes. Oh, so many. Um, so he's got a lot of daddy issues. Yeah, he does have a lot of dashy issues. Why does he why does he have such a bad relationship with his father, Lane? Because he's illegitimate. That's the big secret that I guess both I, I, I I'm so confused. Well, this is probably the confusing part of the book for me. But yeah, he's a bastard, but no one in society knows it. The only one who knows it is his father. Yes. Uh and his father has sometimes threatened to expose his bastardy, but also doesn't want to expose it. It's very weird. Well, so there's two reasons. One is obviously exposing that his son is a bastard would expose that he was a cuckold. Right. But also, Gareth was the second son. He was not supposed to inherit. His older brother, who was legitimate, was supposed to inherit. And so now uh, he's a Viscount, I believe. So. Now has to deal with the fact that like his heir isn't his biological child and to out him would also like cause problems in society for the title. Right, exactly. But they, which is why he does threaten sometimes to expose him because then he would And he's still legitimate, so he'd still like inherit, but everyone would know he was not really. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole thing. Uh, and so here we have a reversal of the normal trope, which is, so the normal trope is the son hates the father so much that he's decided never to have heirs and to end the line, right? But in this case, the father has decided that he's going to end the line, not really end the line, but he's going to try to sell off as much as he can so that when Gareth finally inherits, there's nothing left. He's, it's an empty, it's just a title. There's no actual money with the estate. Right. So, like, basically bankrupt the seat so his son inherits problems. Exactly. And in sort of also a reversal trope, Gareth's father sort of eggs him into believing he's not worthy of anyone. So he sort of says, I'm going to get married and have a good marriage and have a bunch of kids to spite you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I I, I do love trope reversal, so I did kind of like that part. Yes. That's fun. There is an epic waltz. But it's a little reversed to talk about reversals because she asks him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very. And of course, it's also, that's one of the things, such a strength of this book that is that she, Quinn, does not change Hyacinth's character. I feel like so many right. romance authors 
when they go to the next person in the series, it's kind of the same character over and over and over, which if I like that character, I will still read the book and I'll still probably enjoy it. That said, it's not exactly like a new book with a new unique character. And in, in this case, Quinn has created this really outgoing, really flamboyant, really interesting character in Hyacinth. And she doesn't tone it down. She doesn't change her in this book, which I really appreciate and like. Right. Like Hyacinth is every bit the precociously clever and bratty little sister. Mm -hmm. And she still is, even though she's 22 in this book. And I really loved that. Yes. She's still the youngest of eight children. You Mm -hmm. know, she hasn't changed. It's, it's really good. Really like it. Like you absolutely understand why she was suspected of being Lady Whistledown. Oh yeah. Like sort of jokingly, even though she was like eight. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, so uh, we're still on tropes. So one other trope is that he decides he's going to ensure that they get married uh, by ruining her. Now it's not a public ruination or anything like that. So he doesn't, set it up so that she's discovered kissing him at a ball. It's a private ruination. So basically he, he sort of seduces her, but he, he does it. And he specifically thinks in his head, Oh, she can't back out now. It's interesting. Like the timing of this one, because he's not honest with her for a lot longer than I wish. Mm-hmm. But He decides he wants to marry her before he has any manipulation. Like, he just decides he wants to marry her because he decides he wants to marry her. Mm-hmm. And then once they're already engaged, he thinks, oh, I need to lock this down. I'm going to ruin her so she can't get away. I so it's like, it, it yeah. wasn't a, the, the deciding to marry her wasn't the scheme. Yes. It was just the timing of events that was the scheme. He's going to make sure that she can't back out. If she learns he's a bastard. Yeah. So. You know, I I don't love it, but I also don't hate it. Yeah. Um. The uh, only other trope I'd le- like to dive into, because Quinn's done this a couple times in the series, right? Mm-hmm. Where, especially with Lady Whistledown, she got to write about writing. Mm-hmm. And in this case, as we mentioned, Hyacinth reads to Lady Danbury every Tuesday. And so there's a lot of discussion about writing and about mm-hmm. books and about plot construction that Quinn kind of gets to sneak in here. Mm-hmm. I find it more, I, I like it better in this book than I do in Romance of Mr. Bridgerton, because in this book, they're, they're, they're talking about how books can be bad, but also compulsively readable. Yes. Which is so true and I feel like she's less making fun of the writing and more just acknowledging these are foibles of of human character you know this is what I like reading and it doesn't matter if it's good or not yeah the only place where she sort of lost me was in the middle of this ridiculous stupid scene in this book they're reading there's like a very serious emotional conversation that really resonates with both Hyacinth and Lady Danbury but it was still really terrible yeah. And I was like, I don't really know that that was like transcending the medium. I mean, yes, I can still, I can identify books that have made me cry that like while I'm crying, I think to myself, why is this making me cry? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let it happen. I mean, fair. I definitely have had a outsized response to stuff that even I know isn't very good, but right? 
I think there was supposed to be this real moment with the literature that didn't happen. It's possible. It's possible. So uh, Lady Danbury. She's amazing. She's the gold star. I did have to laugh, though. So there's an epilogue to this book, and I will not spoil the details of the plot. But in the epilogue, which takes place 15 years in the future, Lady Danbury is still alive. Yeah. Well, I mean, how old is she supposed to be? I don't think she's even supposed to be that old. I mean, Gareth's her grandson, her younger grandson by an older daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. And if, and if I was recalling correctly, I thought she waited a little while to get married, but maybe I made that up. Yeah. But I so don't in my head, I'm thinking she's like late 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was, yeah. In her 60s. Yes. But late 60s plus 15 years is pushing 80. Yeah, but Elaine, this is this is a romance novel. Of course, of course, she's not going to die. Look, Helen, okay. the Duchess of whatever, the Sinster Duchess, Sinives, she's still alive, like, after her kids are, have had kids, and the kids are 30. And you know all the Sinster is married late. I'm just saying. I get it. <laughs> I get that it's a romance novel trope. I'm just calling it out because woman would be dead. That's fine. Uh, but basically, I I love that she gets to play the matchmaker in this book. She also plays the matchmaker, as you know, in my favorite, Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. She is also in How to Marry a Marquis. Um, she is the matchmaker in that book as well. So, th- I mean, basically, that is her calling. And Clearly. I think she should continue. It's so great. And I love that she's not she's not like a subtle matchmaker. She's basically like, you two should get together. Dance. I love that Gareth and Hyacinth know everyone is forcing them together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great. so much fun. It's it's amazing. It's really good. So I think, I think Elaine liked the book more than I did. I think my issue with the book, it has to do with what I just raved about, which is that Hyacinth's character doesn't get changed at all. So she is an over-the-top, basically spoiled... Uh, I mean, she is spoiled, but she's spoiled in a in a good way. You know what I mean? She's gotten everything she wanted in life. But she's indulged. Yeah, there you go. She's She's been indulged, but it's not that she doesn't deserve it. It's not like she's mean or petty or anything like that. She has a good heart. She does the right thing. She just, she's very privileged. She doesn't have to worry about being cut by the tongue or, you know, not being beautiful. She has a great reputation. She has good money. She comes from good family. She's fine. So she can act however she wants. Uh, I think, so I think it's great that her character doesn't change in this book. I have always had issues, I guess, with Gareth, with Hyacinth, just because, I don't know. I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like he's too much the society debonair gentleman who could have the pick of whoever he wanted. Which I guess is part of the the whole point of the book is that oh he picked Hyacinth, right? It shows his inner care inner strength of character or something like that. But I kind of wish she had been paired up with someone who needed her in society, who needed her help. I mean, he does in some ways, right? He doesn't need her but he does need the Bridgertons 
Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the perennial Bridgerton problem, which is that the Bridgertons have everything they need and want. And mm-hmm. they're basically perfect people. They're not mean. They love their family. They're funny. They're witty. But so what do they need? Like, what what's the conflict? What do they need in a partner? You know? Well, and in, the answer in literally every case I am realizing has been someone with maybe one relative. Mm, not Penelope. Penelope's got like a lot of relatives. They oh, all one that she likes. Yeah, only one that she likes. <laughs> all right. I was, say, I was gonna see the point, but then I'm like, okay, the rest of them are basically orphans, and then Penelope is emotionally an orphan. <laughs> oh, poor Penelope. I love Penelope so much. She's a treat. But no, I actually really liked Gareth and Hyacinth together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I think I like the dynamic of two people who call each other on their shit. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they were both so capable yeah. meant they really could. Like, neither got away with anything. Yeah. And I liked that. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm not... I'm not judging anyone for liking something that I don't. I rarely judge people for liking something that I don't like. <laughs> but in this case, I have no problem with it. Yeah. I, and I also think. So I'm reading the series for the first time. Right. And like I said, I really missed the Bridgerton dynamic. And I think the joy of having that back also left me with an overall pretty favorable impression of this book. I struggle with the conflict a little bit, as I alluded to. He's dishonest for a really long time, which is especially bothersome because this book has the two of them working together to translate this mystery, uh, to translate the diaries, which Mm -hmm. create a mystery of where his grandmother hid her jewels. And that's usually, like, grade A content for Meg and I. We're like, yes, work together, solve a problem, be in each other's back pocket from day one, hell yeah. And yes. he's lying to her so much about so many things yeah. that, like, a little bit of the joy of that gets taken away. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we, yes. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're on the same team. That's what we love. But he's not on her team necessarily. He's on his own team for a while. Yeah, he's on like the team against his dad. Yeah, that's not the team that Hyacinth is on. Yeah, right. Hyacinth is on team. Oh, God, are we in love? Right. And he's on team daddy issues. Well, he's on dad told me I couldn't marry Hyacinth. I'm going to marry Hyacinth. I, you know, he didn't even he at the point where he decides that he wanted to marry Hyacinth. He was like attracted to her, but not more than that. He had definitely not enough time with her to decide she's the one for me he sort of had the justin bieber view of marriage what's that so for those of you who don't follow celebrity pop culture justin bieber has admitted he married his wife because he took a vow of celibacy until marriage like he decided to be a born-again virgin and then he met his wife and decided he couldn't wait which is why they were married in like 10 weeks so like really yes is that true oh yeah Okay, because I knew a guy like that in college. He wasn't a born again virgin. He was like a virgin virgin. And he was like very Christian. And he did admit to his friends that like, not quite half, but like 45% of the reason that he married his wife was so that they could do it. Yeah. 
that's the number one reason Gareth gets married here. And it's a little bit more like Hyacinth is a respectable lady and you don't get to have sex with respectable ladies unless you marry them Mm -hmm. and not like religiously driven. But that's still most of the reason. Well, but it's not even that. It's not even like Gareth finds her so attractive that he wants to just do her and then they have to get married. Making out and he literally thinks I'm going to ruin her. Might as well marry her. Well, yes. But why are they making out? Because his father told him, you think she likes you? You could never marry a woman like that. But it's the and second time they make out that he decides to marry her. Yeah, the first time they make out is like, yeah. It's just about his dad. The second time, yeah. it's, I mean, I'm sure subconsciously still about his dad, but it's, it's not like explicitly 35% about, his dad. about the dad? <laughs> yeah. But then he <laughs> literally. Percentage he, here. he decides instantly he has to marry her because the next time they make out, they're having sex. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's pretty funny. It is. Um, yeah. So the the whole plot. For, so why do they hang out together? As the book jacket says, he has inherited a diary from his mother's. No. From who? His father's from his mother. Mother's mother. Okay. From his father's. But mother. that's why the whole conflict for him is. So as we mentioned, his older brother dies, and this diary had been in the possession of his older brother, and his mm. older brother left it to him. His mm-hmm. brother, older brother had no idea that he, Gareth, is illegitimate. Right. And so he feels very weird taking possession of this diary because even though he knew his grandmother and loved her, he now believes he wasn't legitimately her biological grandchild. And he wonders if this diary makes mention of that. Yeah. Yes. Which, spoiler alert, it does. Da 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 da. Da da da. But he also thinks, I don't know why he thinks this, but he thinks that translating the diary will also give him the location of some spectacular diamonds. That no, he has no idea about the diamonds. Hyacinth, while translating, discovers that. So why is she translating it? To why know his grandmother better. Okay. I thought it was all for the... No, because Hyacinth, Diamonds. he, and actually part of his motivation is to see if it says anything about the circumstances of his birth. Right. That's his motivation. She, on like page 20, realizes the woman is hiding some jewelry and is like, holy shit, there's a diamonds. Yeah. So Hyacinth is, if, and this is very in character for her, because if you remember back in Romance of Mr. Bridgerton, she was like all about jewels. She like wanted some diamonds. <laughs> anyway, because I'm about anyway. to go off on everything. So, uh, so Hyacinth is translating the Italian. Um, if you've listened to our podcast, you know, Lane and I both like other languages. We like the idea of translation. It's kind of interesting to us. Unfortunately, it was super boring here. Yeah. Well, cause basically Hyacinth is just translating the diary of this woman who hated England and hated her husband. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, the jewelry bits are interesting, but honestly, the translation was an unnecessary plot device only put in to make it harder to solve the clues and like create forced reasons why they couldn't just go from one clue to the next because they yeah. just stop and give her time to translate. Yeah. Well, it was also the reason why Gareth and Hyacinth start seeing each other at all, really, because they run into each other at Lady Danbury's. Hyacinth is there reading. Gareth comes over to talk about the diary for some reason. And he 
basically he does it because he knows that if he goes away, Lady Danvereyna will know why that he basically that he's a coward and doesn't want to be there with Hyacinth. And so he he's like, fine, I'll, I'll tell him about it. It's not that it's not a secret. And then of course Hyacinth is like, well, I can translate Italian. Yes. I mean, I get it. The, the translation is the plot device that keeps them working together. But ultimately, other than that, the fact that she is translating was not interesting to read. Yeah, no, it wasn't very interesting. And then it's actually very funny because they do some some after hours housebreaking. And you would think this would be like super fun and interesting, but they do not make out in any dark corners. Guys, the whole reason that you need to hide behind curtains or go into little wardrobes or whatever is so you can make out. Come on, or like desperately fret that the other won't sense evidence of your desire. Yeah. These are, many, this is not sexy sleuthing. This is the trope that Lane and I, we are always there for sexy sleuthing. And this sleuthing is not sexy. Sadly. It's not, it's not also, it's not like gross or anything. It's not supposed to be sexy and it's not. There just is no sexual element to the sleuthing. Right. Like, and not even, they don't check each other out while they're sleuthing. Right. I was going to say there's no like cat burglar outfit where he sees her butt for the first time. Yeah, actually, there literally is, but and that happens not, when they yeah. get into the house, and then once yeah. they're in the house, like, all that stops. Yeah, come on. Oh, she cross-dresses. Should have put that in tropes. <laughs> well, well, you gotta hear, guys. So, Lane yeah. talked about the epilogue. I personally really, really liked it. I think it's so cute and fun. Um, Lane did like it. Yeah, I, I don't know. From, it involves their children, which, first of all, I'm anti- your kids suddenly being characters in the epilogue. And second of all, I do not believe. I'm, I'm, I don't want to spoil it because it is kind of fun to figure out the answer, but I don't believe for a second Hyacinth wouldn't have figured it out. Well, yeah, that's, that's fair. Hyacinth definitely should have figured it out, but um, I still liked it. I still liked the, the resolution of it. I don't know. I did really like it a lot. I liked it more this time than I remember liking it the, the first time. It's not, like, as bad as the Harry Potter epilogue. Every time we talk about it, that's, like, your go-to bad epilogue. <laughs> that's the worst epilogue I've ever read. Um, but it's not good in my mind. I will not read it again. Yeah. So, uh, offensive. Were you offended by anything in this book? No. Yeah, uh, it's pretty inoffensive, actually, which is... So great for Julia Quinn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, given where this series started, we have made leaps and bounds. So much progress. Um, their first kiss was, it wasn't offensive, but it wasn't um, good. And it's not supposed to be. Right. It's not supposed to be. It's slightly non-consensual, but she probably would have consented if he had asked. It's, uh, he's overwhelmed by his emotions and she's overwhelmed by him. Yeah. And then they're both really uncomfortable after the fact. Yeah. And so it's not like a sexy kiss, even in the way it's described. It's a very like emotional, tumultuous, not about sexiness kiss. Yeah. Which are not my favorite. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think it could be, could possibly be be offensive to some people but I was not offended yeah I mean like I wish their first kiss had been 
good, but I get why the, it served the plot to have it not be. I get it. Uh, and then we talked about it. I don't, neither of us love the fact that they were lying to each other. Well, he was lying to her for so long, especially the fact that he was lying to her or keeping something from her when they slept together the first time. Trope, he constantly enters through her bedroom window. Love it. Um, yeah, he's, I don't really understand his logic, not gonna lie. Well, I, I think he's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be logical. It's supposed to be emotional response to his father being such a dick, which makes him make these very illogical decisions. I'm not saying, I'm not justifying it, but I am saying that I don't think it's supposed to be logical. Yeah, I guess that if I, if there was a behavior, a character having, or, well, if there's a character behaving in a way I don't like, mm-hmm. I at the very least want to understand their internal logic. Mm-hmm. And he's behaving in a way I don't like, and he's behaving illogically, and so I just find it frustrating. It's fair. But, I mean, all in all, if that's what we're offended by in this book, that's awesome. I mean, Julia Quinn, the bar is low. Yeah. Uh, The heroine is not forcing the hero into non-consensual pregnancy sex. And the hero is not forcing the heroine into non-consensual, are you sure you want to, you know, we're trying to think this, coercive uh, sex. Yeah. So Really, this one's phenomenal. This really <laughs> awesome. Um, and sexy, I think, for especially for a Julia Quinn, this is pretty sexy. Yeah, I, I, it kind of made the fact that a lot of the sex was tainted by the subterfuge even more, like, upsetting. Mm, because yeah. I think they were objectively very, very, very good, and I wanted him not to be lying to her. Yeah, well, the second time he wasn't lying to her. That's fair. And it was hot. Yeah, it was. The first time he was lying to her, though, and that upset me. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's it's frustrating. Um, but when you read a Julia Quinn, you usually get, like, an, a one, like, nice makeout and then, like, one nice sex scene. But it's nice. And these aren't that nice. But I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying is you get some you get some making out. Then you also get, like, two full-fledged sex scenes. Yeah. So, especially for Julia Quinn. This is like I really thing. like this. It's good. Um, I personally prefer Colin... Uh, Eloise and Francesca in that order like read together just because I feel like they complete each other and it's, it's just a fun reading experience to read the three but then after those three definitely Hyacinth's book is my favorite I would say Colin is the best no we'll never argue with that uh, but this kind of falls in with Eloise and Francesca for me that's fair yeah um, like Colin's its own level then Eloise, Francesca and Hyacinth Man, then, I don't know how to rank which of the other three is the worst, oh, though. Oh, the worst is Benedict. But, like, by, to me, by far. Mine might be Daphne. That's fair. I mean, we can all, you, we can argue about the worst all day long. Just the number of times the word speed was used. <laughs> I just, I guess, I just can't handle a, a hero who non-ironically says, I'm not blackmailing you. I'm coercing you. 
and we're supposed to fall in love with him. Yeah, I also like. Uh, do we are we looking for like the worst love story or the worst person? I don't know. Then it's the worst person for sure. Like, I don't, no arguments, no qualms. Benedict is the worst person. <laughs> Daphne is almost sexually assaulted several times and apologizes for it and then has to rape her husband into having children. Yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I liked this book and would recommend it. Me too. I do recommend this book. Um, it's, it's definitely one of the better ones in the series. Yeah, especially because we got Gregory's coming up, you guys. Gregory's is coming up. Last book in the series. We will be publishing it in early July. Yeah, because we've already read it. We've already read it. So we actually can guarantee it. (laughs) We can guarantee it. It's going to happen. Mark your calendars. For some time in early July. (laughs) For some time in early July. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. I was going to say it.